We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Hey guys, this is the Layman's Lounge podcast. You can go to our website, thelaymanslounge.com. Check out more stuff. Today, as a co-host, Benji Magnus, pastor at Grace Baptist Church in San Maria, California. This is a pastor who wears all black, and he's like kind of metal and kind of punk rock and super country. So, Benji, thanks for jumping on, bro. Thanks for having me. Okay. Um, we got Trevin Wax on the line today, who is like a an SBC um, uh, pillar. I'm SBC myself. It's so it's like kind of uncool to S- to be us SBC these days. Have you have you like? I'm still loving it. I was just talking to my friend yesterday. I'm like, everyone's jumping ship. What's going on? It's like it's so uncool now. It's like oh, I got to be Anglican. I got to be <laughs> Orthodox, like capital, you know, Orthodox. I got to be like a woke. And it's like there's like sweet, stable SBC. I don't know. What's what's happened the last five, like three to five years? It's like people are jumping ship from the SBC, but also at the same time, wokeism is raising. And like, can you have you connected the dots on all what's going on? I mean, some people are joining the SBC too at the same time. Okay. Like I, I, I just look at look. I I gave up trying to be cool a long time ago, and I I it's just like I I, you know, at the end of the day every group has its problems. So I've got lots of friends and lots of different denominations and I'm thankful for them. But I also realize, Hey, whatever family you're a part of, there's just going to be issues and challenges. It's just the SBC is a big family. So some of those challenges tend to get a lot of press and attention, but goodness, some of the denominations out there that are even some of these smaller families are not necessarily like, you know, you, you, you know, it, the grass is always greener, but at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, but if it's your grass, so. That's right. You were, Trevin, Trevin Wax, he wrote a book called The Thrill of Orthodoxy, Rediscovering the Adventure of Christian Faith, as published by IVP. And thanks to the IVP crew, um, they're offering ebook and physical <clears throat> hard copy, hold on, <clears throat> with free shipping, 30% off, from today through the 16th by going to IVB, ivppress.com and you got to use the code layman's l-a-y-m-e-n-s 30 percent off so trevin was just he was just in oxford at the kilns like full-on c.s lewis's old house c.s lewis is like the johnny cash and bob marley of music everyone <laughs> loves c.s lewis and you got to like sleep in his uh uh, you posted on the gospel coalition. I think it's your post, but you were able to like sleep in like the downstairs bed, like at the base of the stairs. I think it's where right, right. his son or son, or I forgot how his stepson. Yeah. Step-son Doug yeah. I, I stayed in Doug Gresham's room for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What was there? Did, was he, did those cracks talk? If those walls could talk, what did they say? So, you know, what's funny is there's this story that Douglas tells when, you know, in, in the early 1960s, because you got to remember the kilns is like this. It, it was a bachelor pad for the most of the time that <laughs> Lewis lived there. Like it was not, it, and even now it's not like this. Well, let's just say it's not like this bed and breakfast luxurious place to stay. Right. So, so, um, but Douglas was staying in there and he had this premonition. He was sitting on his bed and he had this premonition. 
And he got up and walked to the other side of the room and a portion of the ceiling fell in where he had just been sitting. (laughs) And like, I don't know if it's exactly, this is the spot, but like, I looked up in the, in the bed, like you could actually see, it's still like, you could see that where the, where the repairs had been made from where that happened. And I was like, man, how crazy is this? But at that point, I think Lewis and his brother Warney decided, you know, we probably should do some, some repairs around here. You know, like, you know, when you literally have parts of the roof falling in. So anyway, is he the guy I forgot the name you said, but is he the guy who like lives in Malta or something like that? And he was part of yeah. the, so he's got all kinds of cool random things going on. Yeah. And I, I believe, I believe he's an American citizen, but I think he lives in Malta. He does, he does show up at the, the kilns every now and then, and we'll kind of walk through his old house and, and everything. So yeah, I hear he's quite a character. I've, I've, I've met him. I actually, this is crazy, but Six years ago, my my family and I, we did a little road trip. We were in England anyway for my brother-in-law's wedding. And we did a little road trip to, to Oxford. We had lunch at the Eagle and Child, you know, the famous Inklings pub. And then we went to the kilns without an appointment or anything. And my wife and I just walked up to the front door and knocked on the door. And Doug Gresham happened to be the guy who opened the door and let us in. He just, <laughs> he was like, happened to be there doing a documentary. Now we didn't, I mean, we probably talked to him for all of like three minutes and walked through the house, but uh, the downstairs part of the house, but it, I mean, it was just insane. Like I, it still boggles my mind that out of all the people that would open the door when you walk up to the kilns the first time it's Doug Gresham. So, Did you meet yeah. anyone else there who like met C.S. Lewis or knew him? No, no one's staying at the kilns. Now one, now I, it was fun. Now when I was there, um, I, I did a conference in Leeds, which is in, in Yorkshire is kind of in, uh, uh, a little further North, a few hours North of Oxford. And I met a guy who is 83 years old. Uh, you wouldn't be able to tell it from his energy level. Like the guy's like really energetic and, and very and, and amazing. Um, but he, he actually, when he was a student at Cambridge, in 1957, went and listened to Lewis deliver three lectures as a guest during the summer of 1957. Never met Lewis, but still remembers, like he was telling me, it was it was Lewis talking about the medieval mind and medieval literature and stuff, and, and said he still remembered a couple of the illustrations that Lewis no gave. Way. And he hmm. said it was packed, like there, like people were sitting all over the place, weren't enough chairs, like it was that, no that big of a you know, of a show kind of a thing. I so. went to, <clears throat> we interviewed once. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I forget his name, but he's a hundred, he's 99 years old right now. And he was part of his Bible study. It's the guy who started, um, is it redeemer? What's that one in like in Canada above Washington, James is it anyways, he was part of his Bible study. That was awesome wow. to hear that guy. Um, okay. Do you back to that first question actually of like, Sorry. The shift. No, <laughs> the shift. I, I'm trying to think of the timeline. It, it feels like it almost feels like since COVID and um, you know, and like Black Lives Matter, that it, I don't know if it might be something else, but in my mind, it's like the shift sort of took place. Have you I know that like um what's that guy's name? Carl Carl Truman. I think he kind of maps mm-hmm. out some stuff. But from what you've seen as you've stood back, like, have you, I, I know yours, you're more offering a solution, not necessarily like, um, like the diagnose, like diagnostic, but like, wh- what have you seen that 
why things are a little bit wonky right now. Like yeah, I, I could... to where I got my nephew, like my nephew told me he's bi last week. I'm like, what? You love girls. I there's a crazy part is I don't even think he is bi. No, no that part of me makes thinks he's bi. He loves girls, and I'm like, what? No, but that's a th- that's a thing. I don't know how old your nephew is, but like our, my son, he, yeah, my son is 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 uh 18, and he he's you know he he's a student at Cedarville University, and um he he told me that like half the people he was working with uh, here in town when he was out in the world, you know, working last year he had a job um said they're by and they're not really but they're they say they're by because it seems narrow-minded and homophobic to say you would never consider a relationship with someone of the same sex like you don't want to like completely rule that out right so he he yeah because it's because if you look at the numbers it's astounding the percentage of of gen z who are identifying as lgbt but most of that's not actually LGBT. It's the B part of LGBT. And it and it's not, and what I'm seeing, and this is anecdotal, I don't like, I don't know that people have dug down deep into the yeah. to the reasons for all of this, but it's almost seen as too narrow-minded to 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 not be bisexual. So so that's why the percentages are are kind of up there so yeah i but but also in a pornified culture too like it's all it's no wonder like kids are i mean just there's all sorts of confusion about so many things i mean you have every kind of pornography imaginable at a lot of kids fingertips especially if they don't have any kind of you know data things on their phone so yeah you you mentioned 2020 i like i'd i'd go back a few years actually i think um I think a lot of things have been building for a lot of times. And, and I don't, when you say things are wonky in the SBC, I just, I I'm in connection with enough denominations to know that it's not an exclusively SBC challenge. It's, it's really across the board. Like all, a lot of what as Southern Baptist churches are dealing with is a lot of what just churches across the board are, are dealing with. It's just a lot of the, the controversy in the SBC because it is a big denomination just winds up yeah. getting more press. But um, yeah, I'd go Real back quick, even further. Just so than you that. know, I yeah. wasn't saying that within the SBC it's wonky. I'm saying there's wonkiness happening worldwide. I'm not, I'm not slamming this. I mean, they're just they're just chumps. Like that's me. We're ch- we're all chumps, right? That I'm agreeing with you that it's they're just bigger or whatever. I'm just more saying like people like leaving or whatever I, anyways no i it's i almost didn't want to bring up because i don't want it i don't want to be triggered but like that's like i think when like people think sbc these days they're like oh there's i don't even know the drama that they have there's all this like and i think you're right is because it is so big <clears throat> but anyways i don't want to like camp out there forever but like what you're trying to you know i guess your program here is is a good one you're trying to you're trying to return us back to like the resurrection as emphasis, <laughs> yeah. not like political <laughs> jam. Um, and I got a bunch of questions about that and hot takes and all that kind of <clears> stuff. <throat> but, but when you're writing this book, orthodoxy, what are you, what are you saying? All right, guys, let's get, let's, let's get orthodox. Let's really know the creeds and somehow that will make life better. Or like, what, what are your, what are your thoughts? What are you trying to achieve? I don't know that I'm that optimistic to say, Hey, everybody, if you just memorize the creeds, everything, you know, all the other problems are going to go away. I wouldn't say that. Cause I think the polarization, the fragmentation 
goes goes pretty deep. And and I and, and frankly, can we all just recognize that we're living through a a a massive shift worldwide? Like the closest thing that you can compare the arrival of the internet and then the one-two punch of that and the smartphone and social yeah. media, the closest thing you compare it to is the printing press. And Lord knows the 1500s were a mess in part because of the way it, it took a while for people to understand. Uh, it, I mean, it just, it was, it was massive, the, the shift technologically. And we're living through, a, through an era like that. So it's just, just to say, it's, it's going to be messy. I'm not saying go learn the creeds and everything's going to be fine. What I am saying though, is in a time when the ground seems to be shaking, it, uh, be, people are tearing each other apart over all sorts of prudential matters of wisdom, judgment, not necessarily core doctrines of the faith even, but just like all, you know, just trying to figure out what does faithfulness look like in, in this time or in the public square and things like that. Um, I think one of the most important things you can do in a moment like that, when everything seems to be shaking is to, to, to remind, like to, to, to regain your gospel bearings on like something that's enduring and not shaking. And that, you know, is, you know, is powerful because it's lasted for 2000 years. And you can, you can say, Hey, I'm sure we're getting a lot of things right and wrong right now. And when the historians write the, the books on our times, they'll have plenty of things to say, but I can, I can be pretty confident that a hundred years from now, if the Lord doesn't come back before them, uh, there's going to be Christians who are affirming these same things about Jesus, mm. who are still believing the gospel, mm. who are united on these foundational core tenets of Christianity. And so I'm not saying this is a solution to all of the problems out there. It's not, it doesn't answer all the questions that you could raise. I am saying in a time when so much is up in the air, like take your stand on the rock that's not going anywhere. Like if the cultural winds are blowing, then be the tree with really deep roots. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what that's my that's what I'm hoping to do with this book is like say, okay, go back to the basics. Do not forget the basics. Take your stand with the basics. Be confident in that. You mentioned like uh, Trevin, social media. I think the fact that everyone has an iPhone now and they're spending their time scrolling Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, discipleship is happening, and what they're reading and absorbing is becomes their focus. I, I think it was a GK Bill that said, you know, you you become what you behold. Uh, mm-hmm. It's through this absorption of all this information on the smartphones that people are being changed. Christians are being changed through what they read. And I think what you're saying in your book is that turning back and gazing upon Christ and being enamored and awestruck and wonder is what we need. And part of that is discovering these timeless truths. I mean, you mentioned the SBC. I'm a part of Converge Baptist General Conference. I mean, if you know anything in the last 20 years, you know, ago, we dealt with open theism because people were oh, yeah. not, did not know these ancient truths, these creeds and councils that said that God infallibly knows the future. So we had our own issues within Converge in part because of ignorance of these historical documents. Yeah. And I mean, I think the reality is every generation, I wouldn't, I, you guys don't beat yourself up too much about that because every generation is going to face these, uh, the the return of heresies in new costumes like that's the that's the thing like and and not always heresies sometimes they're theological errors 
that can lead to heresy. Not every error is a heresy. So I do want to say yeah. that because like there are uh, um, there are issues that are um, that we would say are kind of in between orthodoxy and heresy that are errors that we need to take seriously, but aren't necessarily, you know, way in, in that lead to anathematizing, um, you know, and, and, that, and I think the church has been smart to recognize mm -hmm. that not everything's lifted to that level. This is yeah. one of the challenges. A lot of people are so doctrinally minimalist mm. that nothing is a heresy, right? Like you can just agree to disagree endlessly about everything. Mm -hmm. Then there are some that are sort of wired, like, you know, really staunch fundamentalist types who aren't who any kind of error or disagreement that they see like that's you're a heretic you know they just yeah. throw the h word really yeah. quickly yes yes um and i think we gotta i think we gotta be smarter than that we gotta be more careful than both of the, the both of those are ditches you don't want to fall in because on the on the one hand you raise everything to the level of orthodoxy mm -hmm. and you you wind up actually casting out good brothers and sisters you could learn from in other areas and, um, but at the same time, if you just think you can agree to disagree on everything and you never know anything, then you lose any sort of orthodox, real sense of the core. Like there's just no, no core there that's left. And so, yeah, I, I want, um, I, I want us to, 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 to think smarter on these things, but not just to think smarter, like to, to live better because of what it is we say we believe. I think it was Jerry Packer said like when he wrote whenever this was, I don't know, the 50s or 60s, but he said like 100 years ago, theology was every gentleman's hobby. And I often think about that, you know, and and then there's that other saying like what one generation believes, the next assumes or the next rejects. <clears throat> I don't know. We're like, I think we're like one and a half generations even removed from that one. So we're, we're, it's, uh oh, um, and so that is why I've, you know, like you say in your book, we, every generation sort of needs to recover it. But here's my biggest question. What is like, is, are the, are the creeds really that honestly, that compelling? Do they, does the nature, like the eternal generate, like, do these things actually matter for someone who just wants to be happy and not lonely? Like how, you know what I mean? Does it scratch? Yeah people's actual itches so i think we got to distinguish between the creeds and then what the creeds are actually like what 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 the truth that they're summarizing or representing um that the creeds are basically scriptural summary statements of what the scriptures teach about jesus so like i wouldn't i'd be the i'd be the last person to say here a creed is the answer to your problems yeah. Um, and more so to say, this is a map or a signpost or something that's actually pointing to a greater reality. And it's that reality that the creeds describe. That's the, 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 the solution. That's the core of Christianity. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the, it, it really isn't just, Hey, learn the creeds and say them. That's not going to to, to really change anything or, you know, someone's struggling with what to believe. Well, here's a creed, believe this, you know, mm -hmm. it's actually getting beyond just the words of the creed to the actual reality that the creed is describing mm -hmm. and what the creed represents. That's, and I mean, that is Jesus. So at the end of the day, Jesus asks his, his disciples, who do you say that I am? Well, the creeds are an answer to that question. They are the church's answer to that question in some sense. They're like, they're, it's propositional truth that then leads you to a person, an not just proposition. Yeah. Yes. It's encounter. It's an encounter with an actual 
with the Savior. So what I want to say is it's the encounter with the real Jesus, not some Jesus we make in our own image, right? That's where the power is. The creeds point you to that. They help you define, they help define who that person is, but the creeds themselves aren't the the, the, the power of the solution. I mean, they're not even God inspired, right? It, their, their authority comes from how well they express what the Bible actually teaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that the, the, the church has agreed for centuries, this is faithful. This is faithful in what it says. So there, I remember when I first saw that your book came out, I, I, my first thought was, oh, I wonder what he's got to say about like homosexuality and abortion. Cause for me, wrong as it may be, that's totally my litmus test. Like before I interview anyone now, this might be bad. I just say, Hey, what's your stance on that? I don't, I don't even mess because, and you hit this clear in your book. It's like, and you even talk about like there's minimal minimalist. Like I love these neo-Calvinist guys, right? I, I'm a Kuyperian, but it's utter insanity. These guys are flaming liberals. Like we're talking like they were uh, one of these recent denominations, you know, what was it? Oh my gosh, you know, the one in Michigan, whatever, like that was like the, the heritage, the CRC, the heritage of Kuiper, like um, Calvin wants to like overturn and, and define, you know, marriage between a man and, and all these neo-Calvinists were upset. I was like, what, I, what, what has happened here? <clears throat> and so anyways, that's my new litmus test because they're like, well, I'm orthodox because I could confirm the creeds. And so to me, this is huge. And a huge thing I wanted to ask you, and you've already sort of brought it up. With that said, I'm going to hit you. With, I'm going to hit you guys with this quote from your book. What was so good. You say, <laughs> you says, it's besides the point to argue that marriage and sexuality are not explicitly spelled out in the creeds. Neither is emphasized. Neither is theft. Neither is the command to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Neither is a whole host of issues connected to Christianity, uh, to Christianity's moral vision. And yet, few would argue that these and other unique and powerful elements of Christianity's testimony are optional, to be taken or left depending on social preference. We must not think that we can take shelter under a minimalist, minimalist interpretation of the creeds so as to get us out from under the scripture. Can you just, can you please wax eloquent as long as you want on this thing? Because I think this is what we need. Yeah, that um, a, cu- a couple of things to to kind of give that quote some context. So, yeah, I, there are people that are saying, "Hey, I'm Orthodox. I affirm the creeds. I just think the church can agree to disagree on marriage and sexuality." And then when you say, "No, that's not right," they say, "Well, what are you what are you doing? Are you raising marriage and sexuality to the level of the creeds, to the level of Orthodoxy?" And to that, I think there's actually a. a Uh, there's a different response needed to that question because that's a good objection. You know, hey, the church has never saw fit to put this in the creeds. Why are you saying it raises to this level? Mm -hmm. Um, To that, I would say, well, you're right, but it's not that we're raising marriage and sexuality to the level of the creeds. We're recognizing that anthropology, our vision of humanity, what it means to be male and female, what it means to be humanity created in God's image, that is raised to the level of, of the, of the creeds and marriage and sexuality is a subset of that. So in other words, the tip of the iceberg is sexuality and marriage, same-sex marriage, that kind of thing. The real question underneath that is what does it mean to be created in a human body? Like, what does it mean to be created with an orientation toward new life in a male way or a female way? Right? Like what does marriage mean in the bringing together of the two halves of humanity? Like that is 
And I would say it's all there implicated when we confess our faith in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That has a whole host of implications as to what we believe regarding the goodness of creation, about what it means to be made in God's image, male and female, like all of that's implied in that. So, so first of all, I would say the question is not really marriage and sexuality. The question is anthropo- anthropology and, and same-sex marriage and, and, the, and the, the, the debates over sexuality. We're talking about anthropological heresies, not Christological ones necessarily, but that's the, that's the first thing uh, um, I, I would say on that. Um, secondly, the minimalist interpretation of the creeds has not been historically how the creeds have been viewed. They've never been seen as bare minimum statements. You just affirm these and then you can go do whatever you want. Like nobody's saying cannibalism is really okay in the Christian tradition because it's not in the creeds. You know, like when Augustine and Pelagius had their big debate, Pelagius could have said, well, hey, nobody said anything about, you know, original sin in the creeds. Augustine, I guess I'm orthodox. And you don't see Augustine going, well, yes, I guess you're right. We can just agree to disagree on this. (laughs) Like, no, they recognize that the creeds are not meant to be exhaustive. Yeah. Um, and, and the third thing I, in, in response to that, I would say is, um, yeah, good luck keeping the rest of orthodoxy intact if you, if you take away marriage and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Because what we have found over and over again is what my friend Matthew Anderson says is it's a, marriage is an architectural doctrine of the Christian faith, or what we might describe as a load-bearing wall. Yeah. You, you pull out that wall... And the house collapses. And and I and I can, I mean, you can look at this happen in every situation in the past 15, 20 years where somebody has slightly altered their view of marriage, you know, or expanded their view of marriage or whatever. Uh, all sorts of other doctrines quickly fall by the wayside. Suddenly they're universalist. Then they're like, I mean, like it's just it, at the end of the at the end of the day, all of these other doctrines fall by the wayside. And I think the reason is because. I mean, the Bible begins with marriage. The Bible ends with marriage. It's not like this is some sort of, you know, just sort of uh, arbitrary thing, just sort of thrown in into the mix of mm-hmm. of what Christianity is all about. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just I don't think it works. I don't. Th- you can say I'm Orthodox, but I'm I, I I'm for same sex marriage, and there are some people that that say that now. Uh, yeah, get back with me in in 15 years. Yeah. And we'll see on all the other doctrines where you still are. Because I just, I in every case, in every case I've seen, it, it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I think that's the sign. That's a load-bearing wall. Yeah. Like orthodoxy doesn't, does, you know, and, and, and so I'm, I'm making that, I'm making that case. I mean, this book isn't about that. Like there's a, I mentioned it a couple of times. Obviously you've read the book, you know, I'm not, this book isn't about marriage and sexuality, but I felt like that question had to be raised in a book like this during our time, or otherwise I'd be, I'd be skipping one of the important questions that's out there. Yeah, yeah. there were, I think it was, well, there was a book, I think it was Rob Bell's book, Velvet Elvis, back in the, you know, in the, the height of the emergent church. I, memory serves me correct. I think he said doctrine is kind of like a trampoline. You can remove, like a trampoline, you can remove one of the springs and you can still jump on it. And like you said, with the load bearing wall, you start pulling these away, it's, it's eventually going to collapse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there's only, yeah, the that that velvet Elvis. I have a lot I could go into with the, the whole Rob Bell stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I like I. It's like, um, yeah. At at the end of the day, it, it's it's true. Not every doctrine is of of essential importance. So, 
and, and different denominations do have different views on different doctrines and they're important doctrines. Like, I mean, like, gosh, I have dif differences of, I, I mean, baptism's a big deal. <laughs> you know, like I'm a, I realize like I've got, you know, Anglican friends or other, in other denominations and recognize that's a pretty big dividing line. Mm. Um, I, I'm not saying it's not, there's substantial disagreements between different, uh, different groups. And yet we go back to these core affirmations of the faith and we recognize a commonality across those different divides Whereas with marriage and sexuality, I mean, the way I look at it is if, if you're adopting a position that would basically appall every Christian who's ever come before you until the last 50 years, yeah. well, the burden of proof is on you, man. Like, yeah. that's what I want to say. Like the burden of proof is on you to say that this is not part of the unchanging witness of the church. And the, and the other question I would just ask is this, like, if you, if you think the church has been wrong on marriage all of these years, then like, what can you trust the church on? Like, okay. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like I, and, and, and not only the church throughout history, you're also telling me that the worldwide global church now, yeah, all wings of the church, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestant. I mean, aside from a shrinking subset of predominantly white Western churches, the worldwide church is not really divided over this issue. So the 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 question I have to ask is, man, like I belong, like I belong to a global communion. It's good, you know. Like I, my my roots go deep into history, but like they go around the world today, and you know the 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 average Christian today is not a you know a, a white European. It's a you know it's yeah. probably a brown woman in Africa. So anyway, I just again, it, go, it kind of goes back to like, what kind of faith are we really adhering to? And are we willing to, you know, to, to take our stand on the scriptures as summarized in the creeds, as affirmed by the church throughout history and agreed upon by the vast majority of Christians all around the world today? I, I mean, for me, it's not, it's not that hard of a choice. So is it, is it heresy or error? So the that's a good question. Theory. You know, this, this is a, well, there's a lot, um, that is that I, I would, there's a lot bound up in what we're talking about, the eternal fate of people. So is it possible to actually not be clear on orthodoxy and still be saved? <laughs> and is, this is well, an important it, question, right? Like, yeah, could, I, could you, and, and here, let me give you an example yeah. from my own life. I mentioned this in the book, like I was a Trinitarian heretic, heretic and didn't know it. When I was in, when I first started actually studying the Trinity in seminary, and I don't know why, because my church did not teach me this wrongly. Okay. My church is great. But I found out that one of the, I was in seminary. I still remember where I was. I was like 20 years old. I'm in a class and they're teaching me the Trinitarian heresies. And <laughs> one of them is, Hey, there was this guy named Apollinarius and he taught that Jesus had a divine soul in a human body. Like that's how it works. Fully God, fully man. But it means, you know, and they were like, and that was a heresy. And I'm like, wait, are you, what are you? I thought that's the way it worked. You know, like I was like, what? Oh my gosh. You know, like I was like, but now, I mean, you could ask the question, like, was I saved before that? No, I had, the, the good news is, is we're not saved by our articulation of right doctrine. We're saved by the God that that doctrine represents is trying to explain. So mm -hmm. like, I mean, this is another thing, like, can, you know, people ask, you know, can, you know, can, a, can, can, can someone who isn't clear on justification by faith alone 
actually be saved, right? I'm like, well, <laughs> you can actually be trusting in Christ alone for your salvation and be really wrong on the way you talk about justification by faith alone. Like, like you could actually be like, you, that's awesome. Even, like Richard Hooker, Richard Hooker in the Anglican world said this, like, this is why when he would say there are believing Catholics, he may, would be, you know, Richard Hooker basically said, you can be, you can be wrong on the doctrine and still saved by the reality. So, so all that to say, all that to yeah. say is I don't, when I say, is it a heresy? I don't want people to hear me saying, if there's a Christian out there that's muddled or confused or distorted on a question about marriage or sexuality on like what, you know, what, I don't want people to, to hear that saying that person is necessarily going to hell. Mm-hmm. And again, we're talking about like Christians. Cause I do think there are Christians that are just in the confusion of our times. There are, there are Christians that are, uh, that are confused that, uh, that need to be brought along really, you know, arm around the shoulder. Hey, this is not, this is not the way uh, to go. But that, that said, I do think the, the sexuality question, if the way I was going to put it is the sexuality question is, is tied so tightly to anthropology and what it means to be human, male and female, that it is an anthropological heresy. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think it's merely an error, like on the level of like where, where we might have disagreements about, you know, speaking in tongues or baptism or women being even women in ministry and those kinds of things. Like this, this is so tightly tied that that part of our moral and ethical vision is so tightly tied to, uh, to, to our understanding of, of humanity that I would say, yeah, it's, it's the signal, it's the sign of an anthropological heresy. Mm -hmm. So is it one step removed from the actual heresy itself about what it, I think that, I mean, theologians are still working out exactly how that how that 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 happens but it's 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 one of those that's so distorting yeah of the of the christian tradition that it's 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 not one of those errors that we can just agree to disagree on mm-hmm. so i don't i don't know if that I, answers I like the, the question exactly but yeah i like your phrase anthropological yeah yeah the anthropological heresy because we tend to tie heresy into more strict doctrine and theology, right. who God is, Trinitarian. So I like that phrase. Uh, I like to tell people all the time, the minute we're born again, we're heretics, <laughs> right? Usually, Me- yeah. m- meaning we don't have a full robust understanding of the Trinity, of the hypostatic union, or at least in error. And I say that kind of jokingly. Obviously, that's where discipleship comes in and we grow, but we don't have a full Nicene understanding of the Trinity, the moment we're born again. I mean, like you said, sometimes you go to seminary and then you learn, you're like, oh, I was off on this. Right. Yeah. right. There's, I was in error and I've learned it's different. I think like, you know, with somebody gives pushback and there's resistance when they're confronted or challenged or loved on to change. And I think that's, that's where you start sliding out of that error zone into uh, what we would call heresy. But, well, yeah, because there's a bit of an there's a bit of arrogance, I think, and I in in the in the idea that I know best and I can go against the 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 wisdom of the the church and how they've inter you know how the the church over time and I mean literally like all churches everywhere and Christians generally have all said this is what this means these are the guardrails mm-hmm. and for me to be able to say. No, really, everyone's gotten it wrong. I'm going to step out of these guardrails and be fine. Like, there's a—that's actually the sign of an unregenerate heart, right? So, 
Like there is a difference between pushing against orthodoxy and being sort of accidentally unorthodox. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and I and I think and again we're thankfully thank God we're not saved because we can correctly answer all of the questions on a theological test. Oh, I love that. We're saved because yeah. of Jesus, right? Like I may I may be wrong about Jesus in some areas, but I'm not saved by right doctrine. I'm saved by the right Savior. So okay. I just. I just want to, I again, but I, but I don't want people to hear that and then think, oh, well, if we're not saved by right doctrine, I guess right doctrine doesn't really matter. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like right. I could, I can be wrong about my wife and still married, but I don't want to be wrong about my wife because I love her. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like, if you're, if you're, if you're wrong, if you're like, I guess we can just be wrong about Jesus and God, the father and the Holy spirit, like forever. And it's really doesn't matter and still be saved. I'm like, if you're really married, like if you're like in a relationship with God and you really, you want to know him and you want to love him, then don't you want to like know actually who he is and not, and make sure you're not remaking him in, is it in your own image or that you're not like, to me, it's a love thing. Like the reason we care about doctrine is because we love the God, the doctrines described. Okay. And, last question. Go ahead. Yeah. Last question on the super like ultra specific realm of like, you know, what do you have to believe to be saved? What heresy is like damnable? And, and I'm about to set up this scenario <clears throat> and it's not whack to me because this is my, my in-laws. My in-laws are Mormons. My wife was a Mormon and praise God for his grace. I missionary dated her and somehow she became a Christian. This is unbelievable. Man, that never works, but it I'm never... glad it works in your... In your... <laughs> oh, I studied, I got like... Part of my master's in like um, Mormon studies, like I, ma I I literally mastered that that whack religion. But anyways, here's a question for I was thinking, what specific their air like so they're not Trinitarian. That's a big thing they have, and they and they're you know they're kind of like Catholics. They it's like their works like there's a works play. You know, after everything, they're saved by grace. After all that they could do is what they say. And then the, I think the other big part I would say is that um, they only pray to one God, as it were. They pray to God. Well, I guess they pray to Jesus. So in theory, they're praying to two, two different gods, but they believe there's millions, if you will, um, and that they could maybe become a Mormon, I'm sure, or a God. I'm sure you know this and listeners. But having said all that, I think, well, what about that insanity will send them to hell? And I'm like, what specifically? I'm like, I was a heretic for, for the Trinity and I probably still am a little bit, you know, and then I was like, well, what if they, they think they could become a God? That one seems insane, but I'm like, well, does that, you know, that I really am thinking what, what specifically, at what point does this like, do your errors be like, send you to hell? Like my nephew, I just talked to him last week, this other nephew. Now this one's like 20. And he's like, no, I think it's okay to be gay because, you know, the argument of like, that was like boy toys in the Roman world. That's the homosexuality that they meant, you know, whatever. You always hear that one. And so, I mean, at least he's like trying to somehow kind of use the Bible in a sense. But anyways, I guess the question is, it's the big one. Like, well, how, how heretical can you be? I think the Mormon case scenario is pretty scary, but I'm curious if you'd hit if you'd be willing to hit that one. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I'm not, I'm not an expert on Mormonism. Um, ha haven't, haven't studied it closely. I mean, I've read some different, different dialogues and debates between evangelicals and Mormons over the years and whatnot. Um, 
it, it's interesting. I mean, there, there's a whole debate. I don't know if you know this, but there's a whole debate over whether or not Mormonism should be called a cult because it's it's now, it, it's such a large, uh, there are some sociologist types who say it doesn't really fit the category of the Jehovah's Witnesses and some of the others because of the, the size of Mormonism now worldwide, that it really is become an, uh, like another religion. Similar to, um, I, I mean, uh, it's not similar, Mormonism isn't similar to Islam, but in the same sense that Islam began as a Christian heresy, so to speak, yeah. right? Uh, and, and denied that Jesus actually died on the cross and whatnot. But eventually Islam rose to becoming a dominant, you know, one of the dominant worldwide Abrahamic faiths anyway. Um, yeah. So when it, when it comes to, to, to Mormonism um, though, as far as like what they're actually believe, like they, the, the Mormon teaching is antithetical in set in lots of places to the actual you know, the, to, to the, to the creedal statements of the church that place it much farther away from what I would like evangelical Protestantism, for example, than like, uh, than even Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. Mm. So it is a, um, uh, I mean, you, as, as kind and as good neighbors as Mormons are. And like my, you know, I, we, our family has had this conversation recently because my kids have some Mormon friends. Um, it, I mean, it, in talking about this, it's a, we witness to them because the assumption, I have no biblical <coughs> rationale or justification to assume that these heresies that, that Mormons believe. And I'm, again, I'm not even, I'm not even sure that, that, that calling them heresies is the right thing because at the fundamental level it is and because of the other scriptures that they have, it is in a sense, its own like it's weird to talk about Islam as if it's Christian heresies, right? right. You see what I'm saying? Like it's like, well, it's another religion. Yeah. That's yeah. Mormonism is far enough away from yeah. core Trinitarian Christian orthodoxy that I would say we ought to we ought to see it like another religion, and yeah. we ought to share the gospel, you know, with with Mormons just like we would with Muslims yeah. or with others. They they may be closer in the sense that their their view is. Um, you know, they, 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 you know, they have a, they affirm aspects of the new Testament portrait of Jesus that Muslims do not, for example, that Jesus died on the cross and whatnot, but the, the, um, the fundamental differences are, are, are stark on the outside. It can look really similar. And this is what throws people. And this is why I know you're asking the question on the outside. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of areas. There may be partnership in terms of, you know, um, it morals and values and appreciation for, for things like that. But, uh, you know, th this is, again, I would, I, I have, I have no reason in my understanding of Mormonism, Mormon theology, church history, and especially the scriptures to, to see any other option than to witness to Mormons like you did your wife. Yeah. Right. Right. Assuming non, non unbeliever, and you're you're calling her to 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 actual uh, faith in Christ. So that's that's what I would say. Yeah, that that it, it's it, I don't even know though that heresy is the right word. Mm -hmm. Really, other religion is probably better. So um, on your Gospel Coalition post, you just said in passing, you just threw it out a little breadcrumb. You're like, oh yeah, here's a picture of me and friend. Me and a friend were working on a counter catechesis. I'm like, oh my gosh, if that's what I think it is, I need right now where can i send where, when can i send some money to help fund that please tell me what you got cooking 
You know, I, it's at the very early stages. So one of the fun things we got to do, he's a church planter friend of mine in London, uh, Thomas West. Uh, we spent a day at the kilns and we've been working, we've been talking about this for a while, but um, we really were mapping out what what it would look like for us to do a, a catechesis project that wasn't, you know, Tim Keller's the one who's got us onto this because Tim's been saying the, 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 the older catechisms, which are fantastic, uh, are, are catechisms that basically lay out you know, here's how to be a good Protestant over against Roman Catholicism. Yep, exactly. And and Keller's saying what we really need are catechisms that are like, here's how to be a Christian over against, you know, a, a UBU kind of culture kind yes, of a thing. Yeah. And so that's what we're working on. It's like, how do we put yeah. together questions, answers, explanations that are like that that are gonna kind of you know actually counter that in ways I think that will actually surprise church members. Because oh the idea is like, what's the edge? You've heard the world say this. Well, this is what the Bible says. Like, I want that edge in the catechism. Mm-hmm. Question. You stop it right now. I'm I'm going to start a GoFundMe for that. So <laughs> honestly, I need that for my kids. And all those guys, like I know, like the Synod, the Synod of Dort, they're like, oh, they were, you're supposed to update the, the, um, the confession. Oh, yeah. They, but, but no one does. They're like, oh. But like even people who love him, like like R. Scott Clark, he's like, yeah, we need it. We need to update these things. And it's like, but ne- we never do. And it's it's a little bit utterly bizarre. And I've even tried and I get like a big old blank PDF do- or blank word document. And I can't make it more than like three words. I need guys like you to hammer that out. So so honestly, I think that's a, a you got a hearty amen. OK, le- next one from here. Here you talk about. Well, you got this quote, like basically about how, like we, okay, we are orthodox, we believe to be, um, and we live in an extremely unorthodox world, like a post-Christian world now, many would say, Um, and then you talk about, basically, you're like, it's absurd that people think that, like, people won't hate us, I mean, Jesus himself said, oh yeah, they're gonna hate you, and you're like, it's so weird that people think that they're not going to get hated and so they either like agree to disagree or you know and you you talk about these so just read the book people but you talk about these two different angles people go but my question is is in real time someone who's listening to this right now and they're they're like no man like in the hot the hot button issue is like sexuality and abort abortion right so and usually and that is the the that is the battle right there's a war but that's the battle and the battlefield is often social media right and so my question for you is like what's the right way to do that do we do we be a stick in the mud and just say hey guys like i'm just i'm not i'm gonna always just be a stick in the mud say you guys are crazy heretics are you serious read this you know read romans or something that way at a minimum it'll like we're not going to like allow it to be the norm. There's always going to be, but that's not winsome. And is that actually helpful? So what, yeah, what I would love to hear your thoughts on this. When you say like interacting on social media, are you talking about with other, with Christians who are, who are, you know, just, just everyone, just like I'm sure anyone. on all of our Twitter feeds, we've got our like pagan friends our Christian friends our heretic friends. So basically I, I would, anyone. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think people have got to ask the question, like who, 
who generally is following and like communicating with you on particular social media streams and then, and and you adjust how you talk and what you say accordingly. And I don't mean in a, in a sense that you alter your beliefs. Um, but I do think it, it, it's a, you know, it's a question of what it is, like who it is that you're, you're engaging with, um, needs to lead to that question. Cause it's like, it's kind of like that with our, I, I, what, this is one of the challenges about social media is I think a lot of people see social media as like this constant broadcasting format where you have to broadcast everything you think about everything. Otherwise you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're being, you know, um, you, you know, you're, you're not standing up when you need to stand up or you're not doing, I, I just wouldn't, I, I don't think that there's like a hard and fast rule for what we should and shouldn't say on social media all the time. I think instead we need wisdom to figure out, okay, who's in this space anyway, who's actually, whose ear do I have? And how am I going to talk to a person that's got my ear? Like, I don't know. Like I, I'm going to, I'm going to talk. If there's somebody who is, um, who I think is persuadable. And that's the first thing I generally don't waste much time with people. I don't think are persuadable mm-hmm. on anything. Like I, it, it's not because I don't think they're not great, you know, potentially great people or whatnot, but it's just like, I, at the end of the day, if I want to have a good, open and honest conversation with someone that I think might be wrong on something, I want to do it in the way that they can hear me and maybe think at least a little bit about whatever it is that they're, they're thinking about. Someone's convinced on their, you know, of a conspiracy or they're convinced of this thing or that, like, I just, there's not a whole lot. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot. I, I've got friends and family and over the years and have had lots of interaction with, um, you know, KJV only types. And I, you know, love some of them to death. I'm just not going to spend a lot of time <coughs> trying to persuade, you know, um, KJV only uh, people <coughs> as, as as to you know why other translations are good or helpful or needed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not because I I don't care about them. It's just I haven't I I don't find that to be a a, a really good use of time unless they're coming asking questions about it. They're wondering about it. They're probing that you know, and they're intellectually open. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like that with other things too. So I, I, I know you're asking probably for a neat, for a, a simpler answer than what I'm giving you, but. Well, you know I, why I ask it? I feel like most people would say, oh, you know, social media is not a productive medium for engagement, but at the end of the day, that's where my kids are being discipled. And yeah, so that's yeah. why I think it is a an utterly, it's like you have, that's where the battle is waging. And so if we want to, Oh, you say something so good about the gates of hell. Oh, sorry, I got distracted. Okay, anyways, but that's why I think it's important to to be there because it is a battlefield, and you know, it sometimes it makes me stressed out. But that is where my kids are going, and and yeah. other people, and you know, you kind of want to be the uh, kind of want to be not the stick in the mud, but the the subversive, right, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you want to say, but I think you want to. What I call it is truthful witness. Like I, it, it, you want, you want a truthful, you want to be a truthful witness in whatever sphere that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you want that truthful witness to be heard as much as possible. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you can just simply say the truth and I don't think there's anything wrong with just confessing the truth on a particular matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and just saying, this is what the church teaches. This is what the Bible teaches like the, um, but, but I do, I do think uh, on social media, if you're going to do that, look for ways to like actually persuade like do your best to be persuasive in that you're you're engaging not just simply to provide the truthful witness but also because you believe god can use the truthful witness 
to, 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 to get that apart. But I realize that looks different for different people. Uh, there are people that have different callings, even different, like, you know, I'd, I'd ask people like, really look at your own social media presence. Where are you most effective? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? Is it TikTok? Is it Twitter? You know, um, where, where are you most effective? Do you feel like you're effective? Do other people think you're effective or do other people think you're a jerk? Or do other people think that you're actually never saying anything substantive? Or do you know, are you like, what, what is it that, and, and that's another aspect of this social media. I don't think we realize just the level at which social media actually deforms us yeah. in certain ways. And so I want to ask the, I, I'm not saying get out of it. I mean, maybe for some people they need to for their own heart and soul, but I am telling people like recognize that there are, there are, there are impulses. There are certain aspects of your own personality that are probably sinful that social media feeds. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> like know that going in like if you're going on the battlefield know that it's not just the arrows of the other side but there's toxic gas too that's so good so, I, that's, you know I, mean? I, I so. post and run <laughs> yeah. i post <laughs> and i get off you know because it's you see things that are sad you see christians fighting and to me that's the most sad thing i did see something the other day that was encouraging i saw some guy say in like a thread where people started to argue and he said hey man let's slide off into dms and continue this conversation between you and me and i thought okay that's what we need yeah. less the back and forth um but i do you there's a great quote in chapter six where you talked about kind of talking about this uh it's a little long but i think i, I want to read it. it says the thrill of orthodoxy is that the truth takes on the world we leave our comfort zones for the excitement of spreading the good news we commit to going beyond the walls of our churches to being the church in a countercultural way for the good of the world the adventure of the great commission requires the delivery of a message whether it's welcome or not News unchanged, undomesticated, untamed. We must not attempt to declaw the Lion of Judah as we declare the Lamb of God. Yes. That's a great imagery. Can you talk about the adventure of it? Because you talk about that, the thrill of it, but also just the idea that we tend to declaw Jesus because we want to make him a little more you know, receivable. Yeah, I, I think there's always the tendency to want to water down the controversial aspects of the Christian faith. And to me, that's actually losing some of the adventure of what it is we're talking about, because uh, the adventure is the edge <laughs> that, that Christianity is yeah. edgy, like it actually contradicts the world in places and it's going to get you some scorn, you know, yeah. like you got like that's just it's just the nature of it. Yeah. Um, that's part of the adventure of evangelism. And I wasn't speaking just about social media there, although this would apply yeah. to social media. Yeah. I was just talking about like, just in general, yeah. like talking about the faith to people that are far from God. It, yeah. It's going to, it's going to be exciting conversations at times, you know? Um, uh, but, I, but I, but I, I do think the temptation is to, to water things down. Now, some would say, well then, you know, and Jason just mentioned like this example of, okay, well, I'm just going to be the stick in the mud who just basically, repent or die tells the person in front of them, you know, whatever it might, might be. And I, to that, I want to say there's a little bit of the loss of the adventure in that too, to me, mm-hmm. because if it's just basically, I'm going to deliver the message undomesticated, untamed, whatever, which I, I said in the book, we have to do, but without any thought to how it's going to be received or heard, well, then that's not really an adventure. That's basically me just going out like a, you know, like, 
this is this is the the what I I see sometimes, and I again don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but can sometimes be the it's it's it can be the it, it's it's uh the the street preacher downfall. Now and look, I'm I'd rather have street preachers than no one sharing the gospel. So I like I mean you know, God bless you. If you're going out and they're doing street preaching, do it as well as you can. But like the idea though, that like this sort of just, you know, I'm, I'm proclaiming the gospel, you know, and, and, and not even trying to, to, to think through the way that I present it so that it can be heard to me, that's, it's like, okay, but I think there's an even greater adventure than that. I like that. And it's, and it's doing, it's being, it's being the subversive. Yeah. Right. The one who's coming with this message is undomesticated, untamed, you know, still unpalatable in some ways, still the stumbling block, because the gospel is going to have a stumbling block of offense. Right. But doing it in a way that as as far as it, you know, depends on me, can be heard. Trusting that the spirit's going to use this kind of presentation of the gospel to like plant seeds in people's hearts or maybe put the pebble in the shoe. So someone yeah. maybe they don't get saved right away, but they're like. It, mm-hmm. it it bothers them some of the things they've heard and that they're having to think about and like wrestle with to me that's the greater adventure it's it's oh, not it's not adapting the christian faith it's applying the message in new ways for for the world that we live in you sound yeah, like don't be such a such a citizen of narnia right now i could tell that's fresh <laughs> but I'll, I'll say this benji i had that same quote that must be like that's probably going to be the goodreads quote that was what i was going to close out yeah. with where he said we Sorry, must attempt to declaw the line of Judah as we declare the Lamb of God. Question: Did you know that was a good one? Did you did you kind of steal it from someone? We won't judge you. Like, did you, <laughs> yeah. were you like, Ooh. you know, I, you know, I don't. It's been a while since I I wrote that, so I don't remember where where exactly all that was co- coming to together. But I I've got look. I mean, this is Chesterton's fingerprints are all over this book. So I mean, I have him in the acknowledgments, just like look. I, I, you know, it's kind of like you, you read so much of certain people. I've got shelves here of different people that I've really gone deep with like C.S. Lewis and others. There, there's influences all over the book. So, I, you know, I don't know that, that, that that's not a quote from anyone else, but other people talk <laughs> in, in ways like that. So I don't know that that's original to me, but, but I'm, it's good, I'm, bro. I'm, I'm trying to grab people's attention and hopefully that, yeah. that line does it. So, so hey, Trevin. Did- I was going to say, if you, if there's a pastor listening, who's like, I want my people to be thrilled with Jesus, with orthodoxy, what would you tell them? Like, where do they start uh, in just getting their people to, to be, you quoted, you have a quote, this is the thrill of orthodoxy. It's a renewed sense of awe and wonder at the glories of the gospel. So for some pastor, you know, who's like listening, what would you say to him? Um. A few, a few places. I mean, I think we want to put, point people to authors and books that actually reawaken that sense of wonder, you know, speakers and others. I mean, I hope my book will be in that tradition, but I'm thinking of like Dorothy Sayers, Chesterton Lewis, other people like that there, which, which is great, but I don't want to just hand out a list of books. I think there's other ways that we can do that. I think one, one of the ways is um, that you can thrill people with orthodoxy is their eyes come alive when they actually are with people from radically different parts of the world and different cultures and recognize the core is there. Like that's amazing. When people are encountering the global church, um, it, it, it lights people up because then they're like the commonality we share across all these cultural differences is astounding. Right? So that's another thing. Evangelism is also one of the main, main ways when you watch someone else come to faith, 
and I don't just mean evangelism out on the street. I'm talking about even your own kids. Yeah. When you watch, like when you are reliving through their eyes, what's going on, like when they're coming to learn more about Jesus, like it, it, it lights a fire under you too. Cause it's like, you get to experience it afresh. So I, you know, I, I, I think that's definitely one of the best uh, ways, but I mean, yeah, there's, Lots of different places we could go. I mean, we could go to worship. We could go to the, you know, um, you know, just old things being said in fresh ways and sung in fresh ways. And I mean, there's all sorts of ways that we, I think we, we need to work on this. And it's not, the answer is not, I, mean, I, I know IVP would love for me to say, the answer is just buy my book. You know, uh, the answer is not just my book. The answer is to a lot of these other things that are, that are out there so that you've got multiple avenues coming in to reawaken us to the, the, the glory of, of, of Christian truth. So good though. No, Benji Magnus, pastor at Grace Baptist church in San Marie, California. Thanks for joining us. Trevin Wax dropping all those one-liners, the author of the thrill of orthodoxy, rediscovering the adventure of Christian faith and IVP is doing 30% off. Um, now through the 16th, go to ivbpress.com and it's the, the pass or the coupon code is layman's L A Y M E N S. Brother, have a tender Tennessee Christmas. Thanks, man. We do every year. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to lead.